Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Welcome to the Theater Podcast: Intimate Personal Conversations with Theater's Biggest Names. This episode, I'm so excited to share with you. This is the first producer we've had on on the podcast here with Dori Berenstein. She's a four-time Tony Award-winning producer. She's won Emmys. Uh, she's won the Robert Whitehead Award for uh, from the Commercial Theater Institute. Gosh, she worked in Morgan Stanley, and she's worked at Har- or went, been to Harvard Business School and the Yale School of Drama. I'll get into all of this in the interview. It was such an amazing conversation to talk with her. She got her start um, as the production supervisor for Dirty Dancing years and years and years ago. I guess that wasn't her start, but that was like one of the first big projects she was involved with. Just a super nice woman involved with everything, currently producing The Prom on Broadway, uh, and of course, we hope that that uh, gets some Tony some Tony attention coming up in the upcoming season. But gosh, Dory just impressed me so much. Like researching her, I would have not have have guessed that she would have been as humble as she was. I had to. You'll hear in the interview. I had to pull this information out of her because she she's not she's not one to toot her own horn. She's not one to. Uh, to really promote herself. She just does what she does and she does it really well and she's very focused and she gets stuff done. So um, enjoyed this episode here with with Dory Berenstein, a producer, theater producer, and she, gosh, she does documentaries, she does films, she does everything. I, I'm so excited to share this with you. So please enjoy this one. As always, you can find me online, theater underscore podcast on Instagram and Twitter. Send me some feedback via the feed via sorry, via feedback at the theaterpodcast.com. Of course, the theaterpodcast.com on the web, Facebook.com slash official theater podcast. And uh maybe that's it. Maybe there's more. I don't know. I say this all the time and I still forget everything. So anyway, enjoy this episode with Dory Berenstein. Here you go. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Dory Berenstein, thank you for sitting with me today. You are a four-time Tony Award-winning producer, Emmy Award-winning director, and a recipient of a Robert Whitehead Award from the Commercial Theater Institute. Uh, and we'll get into your past, but this it's been phenomenal. You worked at Morgan Stanley, then strategic planning for NBC, Paramount. You've been to Harvard. You've been in, in public policy. You went to Yale. Like, I want to talk about all this. This is incredible. I, I'm shortening your bio because I just want you to tell this story. So 
First of all, again, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. This is incredible. We're actually in your offices here in Midtown. So uh, thank you for having me, actually. <laughs> um, but yeah, tell, let's start at the beginning again, like we always do. Where did you grow up? What's what I grew was up in Los Angeles. Yeah? Yeah. And uh, I'm very fortunate because my parents loved theater. And so I spent a lot of time at the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion seeing all the touring shows and fell in love with it very, 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 very early. Uh, and, you know, it was just, I, that had to be part of my life. Do you remember your first show? Well, my, you know, there were a lot of shows. There were puppet shows. There were many, many shows. But the first one I really remember being transported by was uh, Carol Channing in Hello, Dolly. Hmm. I love that you use the word transported. Uh, and we'll get to that, too, because you've, you've got, you know, you've done documentaries, you tell stories, and I think yeah. that that's, mm-hmm. telling a story in your own way, feeling something is is very important to yes. you. That's that's my take on your career so far. <laughs> in, in the two minutes we've been recording so far. Um, and you're right. <laughs> <laughs> yes, one for me. And most kids dream of being on stage, not behind the scenes. So where did your, I guess, what point did you realize that you wanted to do producing, writing, directing, or did you have originally want to be like the the actor on stage? Well, I think I was completely captivated by how do they make this happen? What's going on backstage? You know, they just you have completely new costumes and there's a new set. How did that happen? And so literally at five years old, it was just how does it work? And how many people are behind the curtain? What's the choreography back there? Uh, and how did it get to, you know, how, how, why is this show here and another show, you know, coming in next week? And where were they before? And <laughs> so it captivated me very, very early on. But, but it was a good thing that it did because uh, probably fairly soon after that, I realized I had no talent at all <laughs> to be on stage. So I'm very happy that I was captivated by by the behind the curtain because there would be no hope and no future if I was determined to be on stage. Wow. So at five years old, I guess you were already looking behind behind the curtain. Yes. And I wouldn't say you have no talent. You have many, many talents. <laughs> Not as a, a performer. Right, right. Um, and... Your parents, they took, you said you, they took you to a lot of theater. What did they do to, to kind of get you, or what was their background to know to bring you to lots of theater? I think it was just part of their life. They grew up loving uh, theater and film, and I, I know that they always felt that theater had the power to tell important stories. And uh, there have been time, there were times in my childhood where I was taken to see a show because my parents were eager for me to understand uh, uh, the way the world was working in a particular area or, you know, social issues. And they felt that theater really could tell these stories in an impactful way. So I think it was a joy for them. And also there was so much learning um, to to come from theater. Mm -hmm. So it was part of my education as well as part of my entertainment. Well, kudos to your parents for yes. for instilling that need for storytelling very, so so young. True. Yeah. And then kind of fast forward a few years. It, you still you stayed in LA all up and through high school and everything? Yes. Yeah? Yes. And then what was college? Uh, college was um well I had uh, in high school 
took a path um, because there was no opportunity for the behind the curtain at my high school. Uh, I went to Pally High, uh, uh, which uh, there were a lot of television shows and films that were made there. And I was an extra in Rocky and, <laughs> and Carrie, which is ironic given the prom. Um, but um, uh, there, were no op- there was no opportunity for somebody who could not be on stage you know, um, so I channeled my eagerness to produce, I guess, uh, to student government and um, and journalism. So I was student body president, the editor of the paper and all that. And, and so that was kind of the trajectory I was on when I went off to college and, and also an athlete. So that those are the areas that I really focused in in college and, and high school. What, what sports did you play? I was a gymnast. Yeah? Yes. Oh, that's fun. Yes. I, I loved, did. Loved it. I did rings. I, oh, I ring, wow. rings and uh, parallel bars. That's yes, yeah, yeah, absolutely. God, that was so long ago when I was <laughs> when I was a wee lad. <laughs> yeah, that, that was a lot of fun. Um, okay, so then then go to college. Yes. So and and you went to uh, Harvard Business at this point. Or was uh, that- well, a Smith undergrad and then Yale and Harvard graduate school. And and um, what was so great um, uh, in college is I was able to. Um, combine majors. And um, I put economics and theater together, and they let me do that, which was so great. And so I really was able to study the economics of theater because it was not a theater school <laughs> by any means. I mean, they had a great theater program, but not the business of theater. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was no film program. Uh, and so it really was uh, an excuse to to seek out people who had this expertise and to learn as much as I could because I, I didn't have any access to that world. So it was a great opportunity just to immerse myself in, in reading and talking to people um, about the business of, of our business. Mm-hmm. And were you teaching yourself kind of as you went because there was nobody there who was an expert on this? Well, yes, but uh, I also uh, had incredible mentors that uh, uh, they ch- guided me to focus on the public public policy and the arts. And there were people that had expertise and that sort of thing. And that's something that led me to the Kennedy School mm-hmm. uh, for graduate school at Harvard because I was able to really immerse myself in understanding government support of the arts and um, the power of arts and arts education and, and all of that fascinated me. And it, it wasn't exactly producing or anything like that, but it really was my love of the arts and helped me have a broader uh, appreciation and understanding for uh, how art is created and and how it, art is funded. Mm-hmm. So at this point in, in your life and your career, I guess you hadn't really started working yet, did you still... Was producing always the end goal, or were you just looking to get into the economics? Like, what did you want to do with this education you were getting at this time? Oh, I I desperately wanted to be um, either run a studio, be a film director, uh, and at the same time be a Broadway producer. That's what I really, really wanted, and for a very long time. And uh, uh, but it was a uh, (laughs) not knowing anybody in those worlds, or not knowing. Uh, anybody in New York, even it took it took a while to get there. So it was a an, uh, a kind of a roundabout trajectory that that landed me here. And um, when I graduated from school, the the job to have uh, that would really propel your career in whatever was investment banking. And um, at Morgan Stanley in mergers and acquisitions was kind of the dream job. And it's not, I had no interest whatsoever in being an investment banker, but all of the people who I had 
admired mentors, my dad, they all felt getting a foundation in business and finance was a very smart thing to do, uh, whatever my future would be. So that's what I did. And uh, it was wonderful um, because it brought me to New York. And so the way it worked way back then before cell phones and, and uh uh, you know, email and all that is we had beepers. And mm-hmm. when you were on a deal, it was full focus. It was 24 hours a day. You lived at the office, but when you were not on a deal, you just, you were on a beeper. And so I could live at theater. And it was the first time I could immerse myself in everything Broadway and see every show I could until I got beeped out. And then I'd have to go back to the office. Oh. So I saw the ha- half of many shows, <laughs> unfortunately. Uh, but it was a, it really served me well. I think it was great to have that as a foundation for all sorts of things I did in the future. But uh, it, it, it was not my destiny. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't think you, you, knowing what I know about your personality, it doesn't sound like you would have fun there. And, and I think you and I sort of had a little bit of similar paths in, in the same way. I got a computer science degree. So yeah. kind of like the investment making of of my my time graduating college. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So that's uh, what I fell back on when when I realized my talent wasn't going where I wanted it to go. So it's it's been an interesting trajectory to say the least. What a great skill to have. That's oh yeah. Fantastic. No, I mean it allows all sorts of knowledge and technical side, and that's part of why I'm I too am interested so much about about the behind the scenes and how this comes to to fruition. And you know I chat with all these people and. And these casts, and and it takes years and years and years yeah. for a show to get it sure does to to Broadway if it gets to Broadway, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that nobody talks about that. Yeah, and that's so. Let's talk about that. Actually, <laughs> um, I've got I've got more more career questions, but we'll we'll stick with that for now. Um, you're a typical show. Let's take the prom. Currently just opened, amazing, getting great reviews. How did it start? How did you get involved? And t- like, tell me the whole story. Sure. Uh, Jack Vertel, who is a uh, tremendous uh, Broadway producer uh, and uh, has written kind of preeminent book on musical theater, mm-hmm. uh, had an idea. Uh, and it was uh, basically the, the premise for the show. And he thought it would make a great musical. And it was inspired by things that he had been hearing in the news. Not a particular idea, but many different things, sadly, that were happening in the world. But with the added <laughs> glitter of the Broadway community uh, looking to save the day and swoop down to save the day. So he pitched this idea, or shared this idea, really, with uh, Casey. Casey Nicola, mm-hmm. our director of choreographer. Uh, and Casey loved it. And he was working at the time with Bob Martin and Matthew Sklar and Chad Bakelin on Elf. Mm-hmm. And um, Jack felt that they'd be fantastic for it. With Beth? Uh, yes, of course, <laughs> with Beth. Yeah. And uh, they loved it and got on board. And uh, and then Casey, Casey and I go way back because he was involved in Thoroughly Modern Millie. And mm-hmm. I was a producer on Millie. And I had been working with um, Bob and Chad and Matt on another musical at the same time. So um, we met at Bar Centrale, and uh, they shared the idea with me. And um, I'm. it was just a two-line pitch, you know. It was a very brief uh, uh, discussion about what this could be. And I'm looking at these geniuses, these incredible artists. I think the idea is brilliant. I think the subject matter is important. 
Um, and it's like, no brainer. Of course we're doing this. We are making this show. And that was almost um, eight years ago. Eight. February uh, 2011. Yes. Wow. Yeah. And uh, and then um, soon after that, uh, my uh, producing partner on the show, uh, Bill Damaschke, uh, joined. And uh, we were off and running. And, you know, these things take take a long time because obviously Casey, Bob, Matt, and Chad all have many important projects that we're working on. They're working on the same time. So to get everybody in the same room takes a little while. But this from day one was different, um, different than any show that we had all ever worked on because it was a deep labor of love and it was um, a priority in uh, an emotional sense, not just, you know, practically. And uh, so it, it uh, was something that we all um, just went into eyes wide open, full speed with a giant heart. And, well, okay, so then that was eight years ago. What were the stages, uh, what was the timeline of first script and mm -hmm. first music and how do you onboard it? And I guess what I'm, what I'm trying to get at is give me as much flavor as you can as to what you do in this whole process sure. because for someone who doesn't know what a theater producer does, what, what's your role in all of this? <laughs> well, um, I, I'm very fortunate in that uh, uh, I'm a creative producer. So um, there's some producers that are more focused on the business side. I'm both. And so is Bill Damaschke. Um uh, and so we're very involved in the creative evolution of the show. And so uh, part of part of it, uh, frankly, is wrangling everybody and getting everybody in the room to work. And everybody is on different projects. And so it's challenging to say, okay, we're blocking off this time and you guys are locking you in a room and you're going to you know work on act one. Um, but it was uh, a part of uh, our role um, was also to talk about the show, talk about where we're heading, talk about the characters, um, listen and actually do readings, which was so much fun uh, around a table, uh, just with Bob, Chad, Matt, Casey, um, and uh, hear the script out loud, hear the act out loud, whatever they were working on. And it was so much fun being you know, like the only female in the room. I always got to play Emma, <laughs> which I loved. Um, and uh, it was, was so exciting because um, uh, the... The discussion was very emotional because it was the story was coming from a very personal place for Casey, for Chad. Casey never got to go to the prom with the person he wanted to go with, but really? we went to ten proms. Oh. <laughs> I have the pictures. <laughs> um, so it, you know, it really came from a place of of um, you know, a very personal place, and uh, also we would talk about. Um, that there was a need to move the storytelling forward in this area and it should be a song and it should be this, it should be that, it should have this tone. And Matt is sitting there at the piano. Chad is sitting on across from him, you know, with pen in hand or on his computer actually. And um, by the end of the discussion, Matt would say, well, is it something like this? And then he'd, he'd play an amazing <laughs> tune. And Chad would, would say, and, and I think the, the lyrics are something like this. You'd see the song evolve right before your eyes. And it was magical. It was amazing. Wow. And, and there, were, there were wonderful moments when uh, Casey was not, not uh, there where we would be in the conference room and Matt and Chad would play a song like dance with you for the very mm -hmm. first time for Casey 
over the phone. And, you know, he would, we'd hear his reaction and, uh, or, you know, in person live and, you know, just to see it piece by piece start to come together and really, um, uh, understand who these characters are and, you know, what's motivating them along the way and, and how do we represent Broadway and how do we represent our small town and, and how do we walk that fine line so that it's, nobody is, is the bad guy. Mm -hmm. Um, But this is a story about love and tolerance and acceptance. And, and, and during this whole creative evolution, which really continued right up to opening night, the world continued to change around us constantly. And that also informed uh, the work mm-hmm. that was being done. Uh, and and then, of course, very early in the process, uh, everybody in the room uh, just felt so strongly. This was all about Brooks and Beth and uh, Chris Sieber. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, and so the um, our creative team really wrote the show for them. And we kept talking about... Um, that Angie, that there should be someone like Angie. Casey kept saying, we need an Angie Schwartz type to play this role. And finally he said, what about Angie? (laughs) (laughs) Which is so great. And so, you know, it's very rare these days that the roles are crafted around great artists. Mm -hmm. And so they were front of mind very early, and that very much informed the creative evolution of the show as well. Oh, that's great. And I I love, I've talked with, uh, of course, Beth, Beth Lovell was a past episode on this podcast, and she she talked about her love of of originating a role versus mm-hmm. you know going into one. And there's and she when she was describing that to me, of course you can't see it on an audio podcast, but she went to a different place in her head than other topics of the conversation that we were having, and like it really meant something to her to be this yes. character in this show. Like it, she's got a very strong emotional tie to it, so I think that speaks to to the love that that you and your team put into the show as well. Yeah, I do think that it's, you know, having been been producing for almost 30 years, uh, there's never been a show where there is so much passion on stage, behind the curtain, just so much love for a show and the the importance of the message mm-hmm. that it's getting out there, you know? So, um, uh, and I think that hits everybody that's involved in it. Yeah, I agree. And so switching gears slightly though, how do you... Um, or going back to the creative side, how do you decide where where the out-of-town tryouts go? And how do you, I guess even one step before that, how do you pick your first actors for table reads? Sure. Well, Beth and Brooks and Chris and Angie were at the very first table read. And um, and Caitlin uh, was very, uh, I think she was at the 29 hour, which was right after that first table read. So mm-hmm. um, those the that team was part of it from the very beginning, as soon as we actors were involved. Um, and, uh, you know, they had already been writing these characters for these artists. Mm-hmm. So it was so exciting to finally have them in the room and hear their voices on these parts. Chad is an amazing um, D.D. Allen, though, I have to say. <laughs> he really is, gives Beth a run for, for her money. But um, it, was, it was, you know, so great to have these, uh, the real performers in, yeah. in the parts. And, um, and then as far as the out-of-town goes, uh, because of our story, uh, it was very, very important that we find a place to do an out-of-town, first of all, where Casey and our whole team, our designers, everybody would be fully supported uh, and we'd be able to uh, work the show and evolve the show and and um, 
uh, so that's first and foremost, you, you got to be able to do the work. Uh, but second, it was really, really important that we are somewhere where we have a, a very diverse audience, an audience that is not all uh, necessarily, uh, as our show talk, our Broadway folks in our show are liberal Democrats from Broadway. We wanted the most diverse audience possible so mm -hmm. that we could uh, make sure that the show was walking that fine line and that it would be a show that would embrace everyone and, and welcome everyone because... Uh, you know, it's it's not a show that's just for people who, uh, uh, you know, are liberal Democrats from Broadway. So um, uh, we focused on Atlanta and the Alliance, and and it was a spectacular experience for all of us from every angle. Um, uh, Susan Booth and the team there are tremendous, and they so su supported our show tremendously, artistically, and 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 practically. It was a great home, and the food there is amazing. So <laughs> everybody gained weight, and poor Ann Roth, our costume designer, had to keep <laughs> uh, you know, letting clothes out because everybody was enjoying the Atlanta food. But um, it, it was a, a great place, and we, we learned so much from the audience there, and that with an out-of-town is crucial. You really need to listen because it's the first time your show is in front of an audience. Uh, and, and they're telling you what's working, what's not working, um, and if we're succeeding in walking that fine line. And it was uh, extraordinary because we had experiences where people that uh, we didn't know would grab, grab us after the show and say, this, this is, show is so important. I was Mrs. Green, and I did that to my child, and you have to get the show out there so that doesn't happen to any other child ever again. Wow. And it was just heartbreaking and and gave us a, the confidence to think that we're on the right track here, and we have a lot more work to do, but we're we're heading in the right direction, and this is an important story to tell. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that that's phenomenal feedback. And do you see do you see similar things uh, now at the stage door now that it's opened on Broadway? Do you do you oh hear about goodness. similar messages? We sure do. I mean, our our actors are um, hear that all the time, and um, and they also hear. Um, Caitlin was just telling me that she has had many people at the stage door that have come up with her, come up to her kids that have said uh, the show has given me the confidence to come out and tell my parents who I am. And, uh, and I'm terrified to do it, but I'm, I'm now going to do it. And that our show can help people be who they are, you know, is just, it's a beautiful thing. And at the same time, um, a lot of these kids are there with their parents. And uh, so that the parents have heard the story about love and acceptance and tolerance, you know, I think that they feel that uh, maybe it's, it's safer to be honest and, and, and uh, open and and tell their parents you know who they are mm -hmm. and uh, and that is thrilling if that show can can help the world and make it a better place we're we're just would be thrilled and I think that's what's happening and so we we're ecstatic about that well yeah and you, and you made history of course first same sex kiss on the Macy's Day Parade yes. which it gets gets the word out there gets people talking yeah. so well so. we i think we we uh really owe a lot to Macy's and to NBC because uh you know they had a lot at stake we're just doing mm -hmm. our show we it's a great number for us to be performing but um really grateful to them for standing up for that 
I asked I asked Beth in her interview if she heard any of this, and she said she hadn't. If if there was ever any conversation from the executive mm-hmm. level of whether or not you should cut the kiss at the end, <laughs> did you ever talk about that, or did they come to you and say like you guys have to do this? No, uh, there was actually no conversation. Uh, we we said this is the the number that we want to do, and we were kind of all along expecting somebody to say, well, maybe we shouldn't do that. Maybe we should do this number, or maybe what we'll do is we'll pull out and 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 go to a logo when that happens or something. Yeah. <laughs> and we had, there were many moments along the way, because you we didn't find out until fairly soon before the parade that we, we got in the parade. Um, but we had, they came to the show, and then they came to uh, we we they came to the theater and we ran through the number for them. There were many touch points where there was uh, the executives were right there and they had the opportunity to say no or please do something else or let's discuss this even and they didn't and That's great. they were they were rock solid with it all the way through and really impressed and and grateful to them. That's great and I guess again the behind the scenes how does this work. How who chooses who goes in the in the parade? Do, do the NBC execs come and all all watch the shows and decide what they like, or is it based on ratings or revenue? How does this uh, you work? You know, that's that's really a question for both um, mainly Macy's, I think, uh, and NBC. But uh, all the executives uh, came to see the show uh, first, and I, I think then based on that, they we were in the running, and then you know they. Uh, they discussed internally, and, and we were so excited to hear that we got it. I don't know all the things that are driving it. I think they wanted a well-rounded group of shows uh, to have on there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we didn't know whether or not they'd select us, and we're so excited. They oh, that's did. great. Yeah. All right. Well, Macy's, you hear that? Email me at feedback at theaterpodcast.com <laughs> if you want to tell your story, because I want to hear it from your side. Um, okay, so let's go blah, 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 back to you. Your first show that you... Got to Broadway. Was that Full Moon? Yes. Was that harder? Or it sounds like the prom <laughs> was like, I mean, it took eight years, but it sounds like that's normal. And it sounds like you had, you've got a creative team behind you now that you can trust in, you know, implicitly with all of this work. Getting Full Moon to Broadway. Mm-hmm. How um, was that different? Well, it was a little different in that uh, I really, uh, and this goes way back to 94, um, I didn't know anybody in the theater community and I wanted so badly to start producing Broadway shows. And um, I met uh, a producer, Jim Friedberg, who uh, had done many shows that I loved uh, on Broadway and he was looking to get into the film world. And I, at the time, had done many films and uh, had, you know, knew my way around that world. And so we talked and said, okay, you get me involved in one of your films and and uh, let me tell you, here are the five things I'm working on uh, for Broadway. And we went show by show, the various stages of, of the show, and we landed on, um, it wasn't Full Moon at the time, uh, it was Bill Irwin and David Chiner that had were performing at the Serious Fun Festival. And they were interested in evolving a show with uh, the ragtag, rag Clay Rambler band, and I just fell in love with them. I just thought they were magical and and uh, so funny, uh, and I had to I had to be part of that. I just had to do that. And I think if I was a seasoned Broadway producer at that point, and I knew that you know, <laughs> here are these two guys. They're clowns. 
there's no talking. <laughs> it was it was very high risk, but I didn't know that. I didn't have enough knowledge. So um, uh, it was great because it was all about passion. It was all about believing in them and their art. And, um, and it was an ex- exciting thing. I also didn't realize that I was stepping into being a general partner producer on my first show. So I was, uh, as opposed to m- many people who start in as a producer in a, a co-producer capacity. Mm-hmm. I was like frontline at the in the beginning, but I didn't know <laughs> I didn't know any better. But Jim was a great mentor and uh, I learned a tremendous amount and um, I think the most thrilling thing uh, about that uh, is that um, there's so many things. It was just a beautiful, beautiful show. but in previews, it was a uh, uh, you know, t- maybe a tough show to sell because of what it was. Mm-hmm. And we had maybe fifty percent capacity and we had very, uh, kind audiences that appreciated it, um, but it wasn't just uh, overwhelming. And then opening night, and we were at the Richard Rogers Theater where Hamilton is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember vividly uh, Dan Carnes, our associate producer, came running into the theater and at intermission, waving the New York Times. That was before anything was digital, and so we it was the real newspaper, and he was waving it above his head, and came running through the theater, and we got a review uh, that was the most extraordinary review you can imagine. It was like peanut butter and jelly, Laurel and Hardy, Erwin and Shiner. And and it was just an incredible review. And uh, that did it. Um, And the next night you couldn't get a seat. And it was, um, for the rest of the run, it was just a giant hit. And um, uh, and, uh, we did it. We ended up producing the show three times on Broadway. And eventually, because we weren't really a play, we weren't really a musical, even though there was music in it, uh, we didn't, they couldn't figure out how to categorize us. And after the third time, they created the special Tony for us. Um, and we got uh, uh, a special Tony for the show. Do you think that's where Girl from the North Country belongs? Maybe. Maybe. it's That's a, such a beautiful show. Yeah, yeah. But it's not a musical. No. But the music is beautiful. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I saw it. I saw it and I, I was like, this is great, but I don't know how I would categorize it. It's a play with music. With not, with not, anyway, we're, <laughs> we're not talking about that. Yeah, good um, point. Yes. But yeah, that's, give them that special, Tony. I think that's great. Uh, well, it's off Broadway, but when they get to Broadway, which yes. they will. Um, speaking of films, though, I wanted to touch on this. You kind of glossed over it. Um, you worked on Dirty Dancing. Yes. Hello. <laughs> That's great. Supervised production there. But then, yeah, that you've done lots of film. You do documentaries. And then on Broadway, Full Moon, of course. And then Thoroughly Modern Millie, which has been a hit. Uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. The Crucible. Flower Drum Song. Legally Blonde. Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. The Prom. Um, it, do you like film versus theater more? It sounds like theater is where your real passion is, right? Uh, I love both. I, really? I love storytelling, and sometimes the stories you're telling really need to be on stage, and sometimes they need to be on screen. And sometimes I love when I get to make a film about theater because it kind of brings my two worlds together, and that's thrilling. But I, um, uh, you know, when you, when you're working on a show that you believe in so deeply, and you believe in the in the art and the people involved, and also the message of the show, which is something that's very very important to me. Because uh, uh, you know, even even Legally Blonde for me was maybe a little subversive. I was determined for my daughter for her to have that message out there that it's cool to be smart. Mm-hmm. And she was seven at the time, and uh, so you know, it, it 
most of the shows and films that I've worked on are purposeful. You know, they it's a, a something that I feel is important to share with the world, a, a story. So it's a, a platform, really. Um, maybe a little theatrical activism is happening there, and certainly is for the with the prom mm-hmm. and um, and many other shows I've and films I've been part of. And and sometimes you just need to tell those stories in one medium or another. How do you decide what's film worthy and what's theater worthy? Is is there a, a criteria <laughs> you use of like, well, we can't do CGI on film? I mean, in in, uh, in theater. Well, you know, sometimes it's it's clear when you're looking at Casey Nicola and Bob Martin and Chad Begelin and Matthew Sklar that this has got to be a musical. But you know, it would also make a great film. So let's start with uh, the show on stage and let's see where it goes. Dear Evan you Hansen. And Dear Evan Hansen, yep. and and uh, absolutely, and, yeah. and so many other shows. So it 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 uh, it's a good, you know who is the team that's working on it and. Um, and uh, is it something that needs to sing and dance? You know, that also is uh, easier to, to do on stage, at least in the beginning. And do you, do you only work on musicals primarily, or do you do a lot of plays as well? I love plays. I love plays. And I've done a lot of plays. I haven't done a lot of plays recently, um, but I, I, I just saw Network and, um, uh, and, and The Ferryman both just blew me away. Right. I just, oh. And I, I, I'm so moved by plays, so I, I'm excited to do more in the future. But uh, uh, I have been part of some very special plays in the past, and uh, I was very proud to be associated with Virginia Woolf mm-hmm. and Crucible and right. uh, Cuckoo's Nest and all that. I love, I love plays. And um, you have plays... Uh, you have the plays, musicals, and then films, of course. But then the films, there's also two facets to that because you also do a lot of documentaries. You still do a lot of documentaries, yes. right? Yes. So why, I guess, it's a two-part question. I'm trying to figure out how to phrase it. One is, do you find that your attention is spread by doing so many different categories of things? Uh, yeah, let's just start there. Uh, no, no. Um, to me, it's all about storytelling. And so sometimes uh, the way to tell the story is through singing and dancing, and sometimes it's a documentary. Um, you know, I've had the opportunity to tell some important stories uh, uh, in that medium uh, because I've had great access to, whether it's Marvin Hamlish or Carol Channing. And uh, in both cases, for example, there, I just felt they were extraordinary people whose lives needed to be celebrated. And there was more uh, to their lives than people knew. And because I I was able to get to know them both, uh, I I was able to see other sides of their personality. And and I just had to, I had to tell their stories. I just had to do it. And so when you get that feeling where you have to bring something to life as a story, you know, in those two examples, obviously, I suppose I could have done a musical on Carol Channing, <laughs> but it, 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 with Carol right there, uh, it was exciting to be able to have her tell her own story, mm. and uh, uh, and that was really the best way to do it in a documentary film. Right, and then tell me about halftime. Halftime, uh, a complete labor of love. It's um, based. Uh, it's a Jerry Mitchell musical, and I adore him so much. Uh, it's. It's inspired by a documentary that I made called Gotta Dance. 
about the first ever senior citizen hip hop dance team for the New Jersey Nets basketball team. Which is real. Which is real. I watched a clip <laughs> of them before I came over here. It's they're incredible. They are incredible, and it's and I had been an executive at um, a lot of different studios in LA, movie studios, and I saw blatant ageism, and it bothered me tremendously. And I wanted to to as a storyteller to figure out how to say life is just spectacular no matter what your age is and you have to grab grab it and make the most of it and and you there's you shouldn't be treated differently because you're you know 60 or 70 or 80 or 90 and I didn't know how to tell that story I didn't want to make a talking head documentary and it just sat with me for a long time and uh, I happened to read Cindy Adams column uh, one day in the post and she talked about auditions that were being held for the uh, senior dance team that was brand new for the New Jersey Nets, but they didn't say anything about it, hip hop. But I thought, oh, That's crazy. this is an interesting way in. And uh, literally, I just grabbed my camera and went down there and talked my way into auditions. And uh, there were over 100 people that showed up. It was, it was like 100 women and one guy. <laughs> and uh, they, they allowed me to shoot. And, uh, and it was after they s- selected the team that they told them, oh, by the way, you're going to be dancing hip hop. And uh, it was just like, this is, this is amazing. These people are all there to grab life and to go for it. They weren't professional dancers, but they, they just, you know, if not now, when? And they, they uh, had such an incredible work ethic and, and passion and, you know, were, were chasing their dreams. And to me, that was it. That was, that was a perfect way to tell this story. And uh, so they were very generous the Nets and the NBA and all these incredible people let me into their lives. And, and I was able to tell that story in a documentary. That's wonderful. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, you've mentioned storytelling many times throughout the, the interview here, and it's kind of touched on the need for, it's a little bit of activism and the need to address homophobia and you just said ageism mm-hmm. and there's many different things. Where, where does that, 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 need to stand up? Do you feel a need to stand up for people who are getting discriminated against? Is that a personal thing? Where did that come from? Oh, I think it's been part of my life from from early on. My parents were activists in a delicate way, not delicate, but, uh, you know, they were, they, they stood up for what they believed and human rights. And, um, and it was just part of my life growing up. And, and that's who we all have to be and just stand up for, um, acceptance, tolerance, and compassion, and and help people who are uh, disenfranchised and are not able to, um, uh, you know, people who are being bullied. And, and it's just something that is, uh, just rips at my heart. And if I can do something that, that helps com- combat that, um, then uh, it, it is something I need to do, you know. Mm-hmm. And so uh, prom certainly... Uh, does that, and uh, I think we all feel that way, and it it's very very satisfying um, if we're able to move the needle and and help uh, people come together with different views. And our world is of course so polarized right now, right. and so the message of the prom is is just urgent, and um, and so it's um, it's not just important; it's essential. And uh, I'm thrilled to have. Uh, the opportunity through the prom and all the different 
things that are going on around the prom and our incredible slate of nonprofit partners, um, Kent Cole and, and um, we, that we're able to make a difference here and, and help um, change lives. I applaud that. There's a lot of people who, who just simply choose to look the other way mm. and somebody in your position where you are actively seeking out your projects. One of my questions here was, how do you pick your projects? But it's very clear now how you pick your projects. It, uh, someone who like you who is picking your projects actively to, to, to straight up make the world a little bit better. I think that's that's very respectable. So thank you, thank you for that. And I'm sure people <laughs> listening, of course, thank you for that as well. Um, I have one one more technical question about producing, and then we'll get into the, our closing wrap up here. Um, so the technical side, the technical stuff. There's you've mentioned a couple terms: there's producing, co-producing, executive producing. I know there's line producing. There's the word producing <laughs> still is very vague to me, sure. and so. How, how, who does what? Mm-hmm. And I guess in my mind, when I was a kid, I would always think producer just brings the money. And then the director, the choreographer, the whatever, they do all the work. But that is not the case. Oh my goodness. I wish that was just <laughs> no. Uh, you know, I think a good way of looking at it is that when you're a lead producer uh, on, a, on a Broadway show, and, and it's a little different for film, and, and so we can break it down in, in theater specifically here. Um, if you're a lead producer of a Broadway show, uh, you are basically the CEO of a company. Mm-hmm. And there's so many moving parts uh, to getting that company up and running and then operating that company. Uh, and uh, certainly raising the money is part of it, but that is a, a relatively small, essential part, but a, a small part. It's it's every little moving part. It's It's the putting the team together and not just your director, composer, lyricist, book writer. It's, you know, who are, who's the bigger team? Who are your general manager? Who's your publicist? Who's your marketing team? Who's your digital team? Uh, uh, all the deals with that have to be done. Who are your partners? Um, where is this going to go? What is the scope, the budget, the, um, the theater, the relationship with the theater owners, the relationship with the folks that ultimately will tour with international, with, um, merchandising. Um, <laughs> merchandising. <laughs> I mean, it's it's everything. It's uh, so it's nonstop. And once you, um, what's exciting to me about theater, it's a living, breathing thing, and so it will continue to evolve even after we've locked the show and uh, we've had our opening night. It lives on, and and it will continue to evolve, and um, and we'll have so many iter- iterations and touring and. London and and uh, beyond and um, and that's that's so exciting. So you're managing this this um, entity that has many 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 moving parts, and then there's the creative side of it as well because it's whether it's the guiding the the creative on the marketing plan, or when we were evolving the show, continually giving notes to the creative team. So it's it's multifaceted, and so raising the financing is essential but a tiny part of it. So you're not cutting checks. You're finding people to cut checks. Like you're, there are investors. That's what they're called. Yes. Uh, well, we, we have, um, we have uh, any show will have your lead producers. So they're, think of them as the, the CEOs of the company. And mm-hmm. then you have co-producers and they're like your um, managing partners that um, 
with limited liability. They're not on the line. We have the fiduciary responsibility. They don't. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, they uh, there's a variety of, of co-producers. It's almost like casting when you put your co-producing team together. Some of them are bringing in financing, which is essential. I mean, they're all bringing in financing. Some of them are writing checks and they show up at opening night. Some of them, and we have many that are really incredible people that are bringing something to the table that makes us better and makes us stronger, whether they have their top executives at an internet company or they have uh, experience in, in, um, uh, marketing or whatever they might do that makes us stronger. And our co- our co-producers on Prom are so fantastic and so active, uh, and they've elevated the show in many many different ways. So um, it's it is like casting. And then the money that comes in uh, sometimes it comes in from the co-producers, but all, very often it is co-producers who are bringing in a lot of investors. And then and then you know as lead producers we're also bringing in. Um, uh, investors as well. And uh, we all, it's Bill Damashke, Jack Lane, and myself, we all have skin in the game. Mm-hmm. You know, that's important too. So, uh, uh, you know, there are many different levels. At the end of the day, for the life of the show, which hopefully will be decades and decades and decades, we will, we're responsible for it. Mm-hmm. And we'll continue to guide it uh, throughout its history. Do you, this is a thing now with, with TV and film, you'll have like the people, the big celebrities starring in it will also be executive producing is that has that happened in theater? Do like oh sure? Do people who are having a role written for them are they <laughs> cutting checks too? Part you know getting executive producer credit? Uh, not on this show. Not um, problem, however, but, but. I, I think this show is is quite fascinating. Both on um, halftime uh, and on this show, I think people were so passionate about both shows as they were evolving that more than any other show I've ever been part of, I've had we had people that are in all sorts of different capacities on the show um, uh, that are not investors. And that's not what they do. They're they're in the music department or they're mm-hmm. stage management or whatever. They have invested in the show because they just believe in it so deeply. And that was really nice because it really feels like we're all in this together and it's such an, a, a tight family um, around these shows. And that's that's so exciting. I love that. Well, that yeah, the prom, prom is incredible. Um, Everyone needs to go see it. Everyone listening here. So yeah, let's wrap up this interview. We've been going for a good while. Thank you again for coming. <laughs> so standard closing questions, of course. Number one, what motivates you? Ah, uh, what motivates me? Great art, great people, um, great message, um, making the world a better place. Nice. And what advice would you give to your younger self and younger people listening now, starting out down a similar path? Um, I think that the best advice that I ever got, which I'm glad I listened to and that I would make sure I heard loud and clear and wouldn't have angst over it, (laughs) is chase your dreams. Do what you want to do and just do it the best uh, way that you possibly can, be the best you can be, um, but go for it. And so if that's film or that's theater or that's, you know, whatever it might be, just just go for it and and surround yourself with people who know more than you do and that you can learn from and um, and uh, and throw yourself into work that you believe in because if you don't believe in it, then it's work. And so for me, I don't work. I, I <laughs> love what I do and it's not work. Yeah. And I would add, uh, be okay with rejection and uh, learn from your mistakes. 
Oh, here, here. Yeah. I agree completely. Especially in theater, it's all all rejection until it's not. <laughs> and, then, and then you get great stuff. Okay, last question. And this might be hard for you because you've made you've created so many. If you could only see one show for the rest of your life, but you can see it as many times as you want, oh what God. show would you would you see? Uh, a show that I've been part of? Any anything. Anything in anything that you've ever seen or not seen. Wow. Well, I have to say it would be the prom. Uh I just am in awe of our, t- our, our actors and the performances they're bringing to the show. I love the music. Um, and I race over from my office uh, every day to, you know, hear Beth Level do The Ladies Improving and, and to hear Brooks do um, Barry's Going to Prom and to, to watch our incredible ensemble just kill it on the dance floor. Uh, and, and so I, I could watch that, and I do, over and over and over again with a giant smile on my face and be very happy. Yeah, it is a wonderful show. So how can people connect with you on social media? Ah, I'm on uh, Instagram, uh, dory.berenstein. And um, yeah, reach out. And dramaticforces.com? Uh, dramaticforces.com um, is uh, my website, and all my films are on there. And you can get more of me and the theater podcast at the at theater underscore podcast on Instagram and Twitter, facebook.com slash official theater podcast. Write in to feedback at the theater podcast.com if you have any comments. And uh, please give an honest review wherever you're listening now. We are produced by Jillian Hockman. And of course, as always, a big thank you to our friends, Jukebox the Ghost, for this intro and outro music. Dory, this has been so enlightening. You have been you've been the first producer that I've interviewed. This this is so good for <laughs> I'm me. I'm honored. Yeah, I'm very yeah. honored. Thank you Wonderful. so much. Thank and you congratulations for to you. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the Rise Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. Rise is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. The world a little colorful.